Why, hello there, Crosspoint family and all of you who have taken the time to tune in, whether live or on a recorded message. Really appreciate you um, being part of this service. Um, I'm excited to be able to share God's word with you, and I pray always that as I have an opportunity to teach and preach, that you would be blessed by God's word. Um, you probably know that we've been, for the last three weeks or so, going through a series of studies that has to do with the early church and what the early Christians were all about, what they were involved in, what they were dedicated towards, and what they viewed as valuable, as important, or essential. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at the Apostles' Doctrine, we've been looking at fellowship, we've been looking at prayer, and today the fourth element that we see in Acts 2.42 is the breaking of bread, the Lord's table, communion. So today's uh, title is Breaking Bread. Breaking Bread. I have a key verse that I want to share with you. It's John chapter 6, verse 35. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Why don't I get us off uh, started off in prayer. Gracious Father, thank you for allowing us this uh, time to spend with you through your word. Holy Spirit, we pray for your leading, for your guidance, for you to, we pray that you would open our minds, our understandings, our hearts, that we would be uh, receptive to your word, that we would receive it in humility, that we would allow it to do its work in us, that transforming work that we desperately need. Uh, we pray for your guidance and help. I thank you for everybody who's tuning in and listening to this message. I pray for your blessing in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So Breaking Bread is the title of this morning's message. Uh, the main point is this. A proper celebration or partaking of the Lord's table is an event that brings glory to God in the church. And it is a witness to the unsaved world. When we properly take part of a communion uh, or taking the Lord's table, it's something that, that brings glory to God if we do it right. And it also serves as a, a reminder for us, but also a testimony to the world that does not yet know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We're going to develop that idea, but that's really the main point that I want to share with you guys. We are going to spend time in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, very important, very interesting portion in Scripture uh, where we find the most instruction specifically about uh, the Lord's table. Uh, so we'll get into that. I'm excited. I want to jump into that. But uh, a couple of things as a, as a form of introduction. Uh, we, I mentioned Acts 2.42 where we get these four elements of the early church, what they were devoted to. And... Um, we realize that the, the early Christians observed the Lord's table along with the Apostles' Doctrine, Fellowship, and Prayer, which we've already covered. Um, so let me talk a little bit about what the Lord's table is. It's one of two sacraments that Jesus, our Lord, left for the church, the other one being baptism. You know, these are two commands that Jesus, our Lord, leaves us as the church. He says, go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them all the things that I've commanded you. And then he also, the night that he was betrayed, he is observing the, and partaking of the Passover meal. And 
Uh, we'll get into that in the, in the message as well. But it is in that night that he institutes this new sacrament uh, that, that really replaced, for, for, the, for the church, replaced the Passover with a new covenant, which we're going to explain. And ever since then, for the last 2,000 years or so, the church has been celebrating or taking part in communion or the Lord's table. So as Christians, here at Crosspoint, we celebrate and we take part of the Lord's table on a weekly basis. And of course, there's always a danger of, make, of uh, taking it lightly or not coming into this uh, experience in, 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 with the proper attitude. Um, and so we want to always guard against that. But just to say, it, it's, it's a sacrament that the Lord instituted himself for the church. And we are to continue to take part in the Lord's table. If we are followers of Christ, we want to be obedient to what he's asked. Uh, so, like I mentioned, it's the last Passover and the first Lord's Table. We see that in, in the Gospels. It's a new covenant. Um, let me share a little bit of a, a couple of misconceptions about um, the Lord's Table. Uh, and unfortunately, because I suppose it's something so important to the church, it would be something that the enemy will want to get a hold of and cause us to divide over. So we want to be careful with that you know, within a congregation or within the body of Christ in a larger sense, we want to make sure that the, something that is meant to unite us doesn't become something that divides us. And unfortunately, if you look at uh, church history, uh, the Lord's table has actually become or has been something for which millions of believers, followers of Christ, have been divided over. We want to guard against that. So, um, one of the misconceptions... A, what we would say a, a uh, erroneous or false doctrine is this idea that when we take part in communion, that the elements, that is the bread and the wine or the juice that we use, that it would somehow become the literal body and blood of Christ. We call that transubstantiation. That is a doctrine that teaches that the bread and the cup transform to the literal body and blood of Christ. And there are millions of people that uh, follow this teaching, this doctrine. We don't believe, I do not believe that, that that is what occurs. I believe that when the Lord was celebrating uh, the Passover, and then he says, this cup is now the, the new, the blood, my blood, the new covenant, that, and when he said, this bread is my body, and he gave it to his disciples, uh, I don't believe anybody there in that dinner was thinking, uh, now we have two bodies, Jesus' body is here, and now we're eating his... It, it wasn't a physical thing. It was, it was something that was going to represent his body, the bread was, and the cup was going to represent the blood. And that's the important thing here, beloved. The important thing is not the bread, not the cup, not what kind of bread and what kind of cup and what kind of liquid is in the cup, but what we are celebrating, and that is the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on our behalf at the cross of Calvary. That is the important thing. That is the gospel message that Jesus, God himself in the flesh, gave his life as a ransom, as a payment, for us to be redeemed and bought out of slavery, much like 
the nation of Israel was taken out of slavery um, some 3,400 years ago and in the process instituted the Passover. So uh, transubstantiation is a, a doctrine that is taught, that is believed by, by many, and it is, uh, I believe, unfortunate. Um, we're not going to take the time to... to uh, dive deep into that, but we just need to ask ourselves, why would, why would anyone teach that? And if you look into it, you would see that there is, uh, there's a reason why they teach that. It makes sense to their uh, view of, of their, their, their biblical beliefs or their, their faith. Um, we believe that Jesus Christ at the cross, when he said, it is finished, his work of redemption was done and there is no need to recreate or redo uh, that, that sacrifice which he made on our behalf once and for all. Um, there are other little things that, that tend to divide us. We want to be careful with that as far as, you know, how often should we be taking communion? Uh, we go back to scriptures, which is what we should always do. You know, how was it at the beginning? What were they doing and why? Uh, looking at scripture and understanding the context uh, of whatever portion of scripture we're choosing to, to study. And so that's what we want to do today. We want to caution. We want to be cautious against uh, allowing minor differences to divide, to divide the body of Christ. Uh, you know, if it's one thing that, that this communion or the Lord's table is supposed to do, it's supposed to get us together, it's supposed to bind us together as a group of believers with common faith and celebrate what Jesus did for us at the cross and proclaim it to the world and also understand that as we do that, every time we celebrate communion or take the Lord's table, it's one day or one week or one month closer to the Lord's return. And that I'm very excited about. And so keep those things in mind as a form of introduction. But what I want to do then is look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 34, very interesting portion. And and really look at it in the context in which it was written by Paul to the church in Corinth. Uh, the church in Corinth was a special church. Uh, they had a lot of things going on, and we'll explain some of those. I'll let you know what I mean. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. But uh, Paul found it necessary to give a detailed explanation or reminder of what the Lord's table should look like and the purpose of it, and even uh, bringing some things to their attention of what they were doing wrong. So I want to I take this portion and I want to look at three important elements about the Lord's table as we look at this portion. All right. And that would be starting with uh, point one about the Lord's table. We need to understand starting in verse 17 that the Lord's table should be an edifying event. An edifying event, a unifying event, a pleasant event. And unfortunately, here in the church in Corinth at this time, it wasn't that. Let me, let me tell you what I mean. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17 says, um, and, and now keep in mind, even the chapters before this, Paul is giving some very specific instruction to the church in Corinth about certain customs and things that they were doing in that church, in that region, that maybe were particular to them. Verse 17 says, Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. 
and addressing the Lord's Supper, the Lord's table, he says, Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. And that's where I get this first point, very important. As Paul begins to tell and remind the church in Corinth about the Lord's Supper, the Lord's table, about taking communion, he says, I got to tell you, guys, you know, I can't commend you. I can't give you the thumbs up on this one. You know, there's a lot of things that you guys are doing okay, a lot of things that you're doing wrong. I re, you know, the first uh, chapters talk about that, some of the things that were, that were wrong in the church that needed to be corrected. But he says, in this area, I can't give you the thumbs up. No high fives for you guys on this one. Why? Because it says that when they get together, it says when you guys come together as a church, it's not for the better, but it's for the worse. Can you imagine a group of believers getting together as a church, and instead of being edified, they're being torn down. They're desecrating the name of Christ. They are pretending to be participating in the Lord's table. And he says, that's... That's not what you're supposed to be doing. And beloved, we have to be careful because if we're not, we can find ourselves going through the motions as well and not really celebrating the Lord's table the way he, God would want us to and Jesus commands us to and the way that it will bring, bring honor and glory to him. So what was going on in the church in Corinth for which Paul basically gives them the thumbs down? He says, you get together, and it's not for the better, but it's for the worse. And let me just ask you a real quick question. When you come to church, and obviously, you know, right now, COVID-19, unfortunately, we haven't been able to meet. We were supposed to get together today for the first time in four or five months uh, as a church. And, and uh, because of the COVID-19 spike lately in, in Alley County, uh, we decided to wait at least a couple more weeks. But hopefully soon, we're going to be able to get together. And when we get together, beloved, I pray that it'll be for the better and not for the worse. So as, as a leadership of the church, obviously we got to be careful with the culture of the church, making sure that, that things are running smoothly and correctly. But sometimes also, even, even if the, the leadership has done a good job of creating a good culture and a good environment, good systems in place in the church, if you're not right and your heart is not right, you could find yourself coming to church and instead of being edified, and coming out of this worship experience better, you might come out of there worse. And my experience has been the last 30 years at church and the last 25 in leadership that it's often our heart that determines how we come out of a worship service or worship experience. And if we're coming to church for the wrong reasons, as some of them, they, them were, then we could see how things would be worse off having had come to church. You know, it's not an automatic that if you go to church, everything's going to be fine. Not at all. You know, the church is a family. And, and uh, I dare you show me a perfect family out there that doesn't have any issues. And, and the same goes for the church, unfortunately. And at the same time, it's okay because we're going to see that right now. But in the church, it's okay to have issues. You know, don't be surprised when you find out that people at the church are not perfect. Never claim to be, never will be. But we have an opportunity to, to learn and grow through the process of, of learning to love each other. And breaking bread together is a big part of that. All right. So when it comes to the Lord's table, point number one, it should be an edifying event, not the opposite. 
We shouldn't be worse off after having come together as a church and celebrated the Lord's table. Now, in verse 17, all the way to verse 22, I'm going to talk a little bit about why for the church in Corinth, their getting together was actually resulting for the worse rather than for the better. For example, um, in, in, in verse 18, here's the first thing that was, that was, that was uh, going wrong in the church. Verse 18 says, For first of all, the, the biggest problem you got going on, church in Corinth, is this. It says, For first of all, when you come together, when you get together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. And if you go back to chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, you're going to realize that this is one of the main reasons why Paul wrote to the church in Corinth to address the divisiveness that was happening in that church. And beloved, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that could go wrong in a church, but division is one of the worst. When people in the church who claim to be followers of Christ, new creature, cre creations through Christ, can't get along, let alone be kind and tender to each other and loving and forgiving and patient and all these things that the Holy Spirit should be manifesting through our lives. If those things are not present and instead we have divisions, that is a really bad sign, really bad sign. When God's children can't get together. Last week we talked about fellowship and mutual encouragement. And how if we say that we love God but we hate our fellow believer, we're liars. Straight out, liars. The Bible says that, 1 John. So, divisions in the church should never be tolerated. Now, the reality is that they're always going to exist in different degrees. And, and, and I realize that in... in in our church at Crosspoint, we're never going to see perfection. We still strive for perfection. We're way off, far off, but maybe not perfection, but direction and progression. That's what I want to see. I want to make sure that we are not going backwards, that we're not getting worse, but that no matter where we find ourselves right now in 2020, that we are pointing in the right direction and that we're making strides towards progression and being more like Christ so that he will be glorified through the church, which is our main, our principal uh, obligation, privilege, and responsibility as a church of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, in, in verse 18, we see divisions. Verse 19 is a very interesting verse that... You just don't hear many preachers uh, teach on. But listen to what it says. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. What? Paul is actually saying that not only does he believe that there are divisions in the church, but that factions need to arise so that as a result of these divisions and factions, the true believers will be identified. What do you think about that? That through the division in the church, the divisiveness, through the issues, the dramas, the problems, 
we are going to be able to identify who in the church is a genuine believer. And a divisive person that, is, that refuses to be corrected, Paul teaches in other places, you are to get them, you know, deal with them, try to reconcile that situation with that person, try to gain them as a brother, but if not, you are to distance yourself from them. And Paul will go as far as to say, those people that are bent on causing divisions in a church are not actually believers. They're more concerned about their personal needs and wants than they are about God's glory in the church. Very interesting. Another reason why the church in Corinth was being unsuccessful in, in, uh, in celebrating the Lord's table is that they were simply going through the motions. Yeah, they were eating the bread. And yeah, they were eating the supper. And they were drinking the wine. But Paul says, that's not the Lord's table. Yeah, you're eating and drinking at church, but you are missing the entire point. What you are doing is not actually a celebration of the Lord's table. Let me read to you what it says, starting in verse 19. Sorry, verse 20. Therefore, when you come together in one place, is it not to eat the Lord's Supper? That's what you should be doing, he says. The Lord's Supper should be central to your gathering as believers. But he says, verse 21, For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. And one is hungry, and another one is drunk. What? Let me make sure. I, verse 21. I'll stop at verse 21. So he says, yeah, you guys are, are taking your food to church. You prepare your food. You take some food, and then you just start eating. Out of nowhere. You, you, I don't know what, exactly how that looked like, but, you know, maybe... You know, Apollo, somebody's teaching at the church, and then all of a sudden, you remember you got your sack lunch, and you pull it out, and you start eating your own food that you brought instead of sharing it with other people. And then others that brought wine, maybe they felt the preacher was a little boring, or that he was preaching a similar sermon from last week, and they start drinking the wine. And before you know it, the, the people that were hungry finished their food, and the people that, that were a little in need of some temporary happiness, had already drank all the wine, and they were drunk at church. It was a mess. The idea of bringing something together and then sharing it with everybody, that, will, that would be a definition of communion, a sharing of one's goods and partaking of the, and making remembrance of the Lord's body, the Lord's blood, and His sacrifice for them. Instead of that, people were eating their own food, and not giving anything else to anybody else, and they were drinking the wine, getting drunk, and it was just a, an, an entire mess, an embarrassment. Nothing to do with the Lord's table, unfortunately. They were going through the motions. They thought that because they ate the food at church and they drank the wine at church, that somehow they were complying with, you know, checking off the box with what Jesus had said. They had taken a sacrament that the Lord himself had given the church, and they made it into a mockery of what Christ had done for us at the cross. That is what Paul is addressing in this portion. And so another thing that, that uh, starting in verse 21 all the way to verse 22, what you see is you see selfishness, you see inconsideration, 
and just an unloving attitude towards one another, which is, again, the antithesis of what's supposed to be happening as they celebrate the Lord's table. So starting in verse 21, again, it says, For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another one is drunk. And then he says, What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? They weren't being considered of the poor. The people that came to church to celebrate uh, the Lord's table and, and, and share in a meal. And the people that had more will bring more for, for them. None of that was happening. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you, Paul said. Man, Paul is coming down. Rarely does he ever talk to anybody in any of his letters like this. He does at times, but right here, he's just, he's just coming down on the church in Corinth because they have just completely missed the whole point of partaking of the Lord's table. Now, we might say like, oh, I would never do that, you know. Uh, maybe, but maybe for us it's a little more subtle. Uh, and we're not careful. The point here is, we want to be careful and we want to make sure that when we partake of the Lord's table, when we come together, it's something that is edifying to everyone. And it's going to be that if we are, first of all, in tune with what the Lord's Supper is, and then we are also in tune with what our fellow believers and their needs and being considerate and thoughtful and kind and loving towards them instead of just being concerned with ourselves. Hey, as long as I'm okay, everything's all right. Well, what about everybody else around you? we got to be careful with that. Those selfish attitudes that we see in the church in Corinth here are still among us, and I would dare say are still in all of us individually, and we have to keep those in check and let the love of God flow through us as we relate to other people and as we take part in the Lord's table. So the Lord's table, point number one, should be an edifying event. What should have been a wonderful Christ-centered edifying event had become everything but that in the church in Corinth. And Paul brings it to their attention. Point number two. We have to understand that the Lord's table is a new covenant for the church. And there is so much to say about this new covenant. Uh, understand, starting in verse 23, we're gonna, this second point is going to take us from verse 23 all the way to verse 26. And, and the point... In, in the second point is that it is a new covenant for the church. What do we mean by a new covenant? Well, there used to be an old covenant. So let's take it verse by verse. Verse 23, Paul says, For I received from the Lord, very interesting, after, the, after Paul was converted, it says that he spent some time with the Lord himself for a couple years. And a lot of things that Paul learned, he didn't read them from anywhere because uh the, the New Testament uh, narratives, the Gospels, the, the, they weren't written yet. And so much of what's written here, including the, the letter to the church in Corinth, was written, most scholars believe, before the Gospels were even written. So Paul is not quoting what John or Matthew, Mark or Luke wrote. They hadn't even been written yet and certainly not circulated. So Paul is telling the church in Corinth about the Lord's table, what Paul himself received from Jesus himself. And he says, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. So Paul had already told the church in Corinth what Jesus had told Paul about the Lord's table. So the church in Corinth had no business doing 
what they were up to. And the reason why they were doing what they were up to is because they had gotten away from what Paul had already taught them. They should have been more careful. We have to be more careful. So he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. So we're talking about here the night in which Jesus, our Lord, was betrayed. The Lord was having supper with uh, his disciples in an upper room. And he was celebrating the Passover. He was partaking of the Passover meal. We can't get into much detail there. It will take us a long time. But suffice to say that the Passover celebration, this meal, was instituted, you know, 1,400 years before this night. And so for 1,400 years, the nation of Israel had celebrated the Passover. And for 1,400 years, the nation of Israel should have been looking forward to what John the Baptist says. Behold, when he sees Jesus, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The Passover meal and the Passover lamb specifically and everything that goes into the meal was really pointing forward to the first coming of Jesus Christ where he would come humbly and give his life as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. Literally, that celebration was pointing towards the cross where Jesus would give his life for this world. And so that's what he was celebrating. And after they had meal, he takes a third cup, the cup of blessing, and he says, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He took the bread. When he had given uh, thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And that's where we understand that this is a remembrance of something that was about to occur. So for 1,400 years, the nation of Israel celebrates, takes part of the Passover. And then the Lord takes, this, this would be the last, for, for Christians, for the church, this would be the last Passover and the institution of the Lord's table, the new covenant. Then he says, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. A new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the, this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And we get in trouble when we try to read too much into that and say, well, you know, we have to do it this often. Now we have to do it exactly like this, and we have, we have to be careful. If this is a, a ceremony in which we celebrate and we acknowledge what Jesus did for us, and I know we say that all the time, and this is something that is something that we hear all the time, but it's really a big deal, beloved, that, that, that God in the flesh would be willing to give his life and become sin for us and be abandoned by God the Father in this process of his crucifixion 
as he took on the sins of the world and nailed them to the cross. It's a really big deal. This is the gospel. This is what makes it possible for you and I to be forgiven of all of our sins. That's why he says, as often as you take this bread and drink this cup, how often? We choose to do it weekly. We choose to do it weekly because we think it's that important for us every seven days to specifically take time aside and, and, and look at these elements and look at the bread and look at the cup and make remembrance of what that signifies and what it represents. And it reminds us of what Jesus has done for us. And it reminds us that he has promised that he's coming back. I grew up in a church where we did it once a month, first Sunday of the month. And I got to say, that was okay too. And, and I can tell you that the danger of doing it every week could be, we might feel that it becomes just customary. It just becomes some kind of routine and we don't give it the importance. But the same thing could happen if you only do it once a, a month. And it could happen as it happened to the nation of Israel who celebrate the Passover once a year. And it still became, you know, just customary. They lost the focus. They, they didn't uh, comprehend. They weren't looking for the Messiah for the most part. So it's a matter of the heart when we take communion. And when you take communion, you know, it's you and God. We're doing it together, and there's a reason for that. When you come together, we're supposed to do this as a body. We are the body of Christ, and we are partaking and remembering of His body, and we do it together. But if your heart is not right, it doesn't matter how many dozens or hundreds or thousands of people are taking the Lord's Supper with you. If your heart is not right, then that's, you, you, got a, you got a situation there. So, point number one was that we, it should be an edifying event. Christ-centered, and two, we realize that the Lord's Supper is a new covenant for the church. Instituted by the Lord himself, the Passover meal became the Lord's table. When John says, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And when Jesus died on that cross, beloved, he died for your sins and mine. And the next thing we're looking for is for his return, for his church. The last part that I want to share with you here, starting in verse 27, going all the way down to 34, is that the Lord's table requires examination. We want to be careful how we are partaking of the Lord's table. And there's also so much to say here. But if, if we uh, keep in mind the context of this writing, it's interesting to me that Paul wrote some 13 letters. And for the most part, this is... Uh, with a couple of exceptions, this is the, uh, to, when he wrote to the Corinthians, he was very elaborate. He took a whole, almost a whole chapter to talk about the Lord's table and what they were doing wrong and what they should have been doing right to remind them. But he doesn't do that in other wonderful letters. And so the context of, of what we're reading here uh, has to be, what we read needs to be taken in context to who it is that Paul was writing to and why, is what I'm saying. So, starting in verse 27, remember, the Lord's table requires self-examination. It says, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. 
But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak, sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. Let the rest and the rest I will set in order when I come. Woo! The context of the Corinthian church is they were a mess. They were getting together, eating the food, and, not, and being selfish, inconsiderate, not only not eating it together, they would eat it and not let the people that could have really used the meal, and they left them hungry. They were drinking the wine. Instead of sharing it, they were, getting, they were using it as an excuse to get drunk. It, it, was, it, was, it was a mess. Now, um, it is good for us to do self-examination. All right, let's see how uncontroversial we could get here. It's good to do self-examination. It says so right here. But if you take the context of where Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, I think some of us have taken this out of context. And we say things like, you know, you have to examine yourself before you take the cup. You know, as you're passing the elements, we panic and we start thinking like, whoa, uh, let me see, did I think, do, or say anything wrong this morning? Oh, yeah, there was that thing. Let me confess that right now before the cup gets here. Let me hurry up because the cup is on its way. And this week, how, how was I this week? Oh, this week I was pretty terrible. Here's what I'm saying. Yeah, take inventory. But I think the, the context here is he's addressing the problems that were specifically going on in the church of Corinth. He's saying, take a look at what I just told you, church. And if you're the one getting drunk, stop it. If you're the one bringing food and just eating it and not sharing it, stop that. Get your act together. Look, examine yourself so that when you come, you don't have to be judged. And if you're one of those drunks, I mean, if you're getting drunk at church, chances are you're getting drunk at home. And if that's the case, you know, there's natural consequences for your drinking. How many people do you know that have died at an early age because of their drinking? You know, how many people are killed and, uh, you know, natural consequences of their ill behavior, whether it's gluttony or, or drunkenness. Um, and so I think Paul is, is, is uh, addressing that in this portion. Should you self-examine before taking the Lord's Supper? Sure. But be careful with that. Be, why are you doing that? Are you thinking that if you... Don't confess the sins that, that you can remember right before you take communion. That if you don't, you're not worthy of it. I don't believe that's what the Bible is talking about. You know why I'm worthy to take that? And by that, I mean, I know you can't see it in the camera there. I have the elements right next to me. The, the truth is that I am not worthy. I have never been worthy, nor will I ever be worthy of partaking of the Lord's body and blood. But it is his very own sacrifice and his finished work at the cross that makes me acceptable unto God. Not anything that I do. Is there truth that if, I'm, if, if, I, if there's sin in my life, 
I am interrupting that communion with God and surely with my brethren. Yeah. But when it comes to celebrating what Jesus has done for me at the cross, it's not a matter, matter of my worthiness. I mean, think about it. If you wait to confess your sins, you should be confessing your sin all the time. Don't wait till the cup is right next to you and then you start confessing whatever sins come to mind. Chances are, you're not going to confess all the sins you've committed. You're not going to remember what you did uh, Sunday, the last Sunday right after church. And so be careful that we're not under this false impression. I believe that if you don't confess the sins that you committed since the last time you took communion, that somehow that now you are uh, either uh, excluded, you should be excluded from or unworthy of taking that. Our worthiness comes from what Jesus did at the cross. When he said it is finished, it is finished. And in Colossians chapter 1, it says that all of our sins have been forgiven. It's important to understand that. Now, by no means am I saying that then let's not confess our sin. I'm saying confess your sin. Don't wait until the cup is almost getting to you, thinking that as long as you confess your sins right before, now you are worthy to take the cup. No, our worthiness comes from Christ's righteousness when he took our guilt on the cross. All right, so it requires self-examination, but keep in mind the context here in chapter 11 of Corinthians. Um, and, and verse 33, let me finish it with this. So, he comes down on them hard. He tells them to self-examine. He tells them about the new covenant. He tells them they're not doing things right. And look at how he finishes his whole section here. He says, therefore... Let me summarize it. Let me repeat what's most important here, he says. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. I, I think that's really Paul's point here, and that's his beef with the church here in Corinth. They're being selfish. They're, they're being the opposite of what it means to have communion and fellowship. Instead of coming together for the better, they're getting together for the worse. And all of us have that responsibility, beloved. We talked about it last week. You know, mutual encouragement. It is your job. It is your responsibility. And it is your privilege to be encouraging to others. So that if we were celebrating the Lord's table with the big meal as they were in Corinth and other churches in the early church, you would bring a nice meal. Every once in a while we do that, right? We call it potluck. But it's the, you know, we could certainly turn that into the Lord's table and make it more Christ-centered. And remember that as we partake of spiritual, uh, physical food, we remember the spiritual food, which is Christ's body, through which when we eat of that, we will never hunger again because we're saved. Now, when we do that, uh, or symbolically, when, when, you, when you come to church, what are you bringing a bad attitude, a sad face, a grumpy whatever. When we come together, beloved, it should be for the better. And you should bring something to share. Share a smile. Share a word of encouragement. Share some love. So that when people come, they will be better for having gotten together. And as you come to Crosspoint, and we do hope you come to Crosspoint. 
come and let's be Christ-centered and everything we do is about Him and we remember through taking the elements what He did for us at the cross. And we look forward to what He has promised us, that He will come back for us, for His church, and that we will be with Him forevermore. He told His disciples that in John chapter 14. So we remember what He's done and we look forward to what awaits us based on His promises. And so when we take communion and we take this bread and we take this cup, we don't take it lightly. We do take the time every Sunday to say, Lord, thank you for what you did for us. Thank you for taking your body and allowing yourself to be turned over ill-treated, tortured, crucified in order that you would pay for my sin and you would shed your blood in order that there would be remission of sins, my sins, all of my sins, past, present, and future. And out of that, I am reminded that I need to live in gratitude and obedience to my Lord for what He has done. And that I am to live for him who died for me and gave himself for me and rose again. When you take the elements, we remember that. So I'm going to read what Jesus told Paul to tell the church. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And we are reminded that for as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Praise God. Gracious Father, thank you for allowing us to spend this time together. Thank you for everyone who had an opportunity to listen to this message. And we thank you, Father, for allowing us to celebrate and remember what your son Jesus did for, our, for us at the cross of Calvary. And we also remember your sacrifice, for it is you who gave up your only son, Jesus, to die for us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for revealing this truth to us, allowing us uh, to come to repentance and to have the faith to believe and trust in your gift of forgiveness and salvation. I ask that you would dismiss us with your blessing. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.